Stories, fables, ghostly tales. The Mariner There used to be water in the unending sea. Not sludge, not the slime of countless ages, buried together to evaporate and trickling ever downward through mile on mile of sun-bleached, stinking detritus. Not meagre hydration that meant you had to dig and root and forage for the relief of a few drops of sour, salty, artificially sweet fluid on your tongue. Actually, genuine water, clean and clear and warm, stretching from horizon to horizon, glittering under the intact moon. The mariner could not imagine such a thing. She knelt, half buried in bottles and bags and bits of clothing, hand scrabbling quick and frantic to sort through the filth and waste. Here, was a colourful bottle, its label long since burned pale before the sun went cold. The residue of whatever contents had clustered around its nozzle decayed into fine powder millennia ago. But perhaps, if she was lucky, somewhere deep within, she began tearing at it. A sharpened bit of metal and her crooked teeth gouging at a surface that discolored and crackled beneath them, the familiar sour taste of plastic coating her dry tongue. After a moment, a crack opened like a pained mouth, and she scrabbled at it with long, broken fingernails, prizing it open, breaking it apart. But whatever had been in that bottle once was gone now, and left nothing but hard eggshell plastic behind. There was no energy to spare on lamenting. Already her hands were digging down, shoving aside bottles and bags and boxes and tires and scraps of old cloth. Already she was shoveling the husk, dry trash aside like sand, diving into it like water, seeking something else, anything else, that might have once been edible. Her hands were thin and yellow and weathered, shaking things like scraps in the wind that poured and dug and scoured almost of their own free will. Her breath was thin and shallow a calculated rhythm that pulled what little oxygen there was out of the corrupt yellow air. The burning of her lungs, a necessary pain that had long since faded out of her consciousness. The goggles that had clung to her eyes since birth had formed the tight trench in her skull, so deeply ingrained that they felt like part of her, an added organ that she couldn't have removed even if she wanted to. One 
other lenses had shattered long ago, and beneath it her eye had been reduced to nothing but a little blind scar, burned and withered and sealed shut by the acrid air. Forward through the plastic she dug, the sticky cloth wrapped around her feet, serving only partly to protect them. A cartoon smile beckoned from the filth, and she pounced on it hungrily, digging out a faded food wrapper, the eyes of whatever mascot it had once borne torn away and lost. Greedily, her tongue licked out, rasping against the pale underside of the thing. The thin, worn wax paper, tearing at even that slight pressure. But the food it had once held was gone, eaten away by time long before her shriveled, rumbling stomach had ever been conceived. There was nothing here, the mariner decided. Nothing that could be left for her. Shuddering, she stood. The tremors that racked her body worsening as she trusted her weight to bones instead of plastic. Her hands shook so bad that she could barely control them as she reached up behind her, untying the rough twine that wrapped around her body and taking down the long, decaying, traveling stilts that it had held in place, gently sliding one foot and then the other into the straps. One had been made of an ancient metal signpost, perforated and lightweight, a kink in its length forcing her to hold her leg at an awkward angle as she used it. The other was formed of some kind of black plastic, a foot longer than its counterpart, the tiny coloured lights along its length still blinking sometimes, sporadically, as though trying to cling to life. She carried one in each hand as well, one formed of a pair of golf clubs bound in wire, the other a delicate fiberglass thing that stung against her skin, so that when she finally hauled herself upright with pained, jolting shudders, she adopted a strange, quadrupedal form, tall and aloof, from the plastic sea. One long step, her bones aching and crying out in response. Another, the stilts crunching and grinding against the waist they landed on. And another, until at last she found the rhythm of it and settled into an awkward, pointed gait. It was hardly comfortable but it was faster than crawling through the muck, and the cadence of it meant that it was easier to breathe. Sometimes, as she stumbled and picked her way across the expanse of crime, she wondered if this was how people had moved across the sea, in the faraway time when it had been water. Sometimes, as she moved like this, she found bigger pieces of what had been left behind, A neon sign, perhaps. The colourful lights crawling around its exterior, gone dark. 
a few illegible letters, all that remained of the message at once bore. The hulk of a car, more rust than metal now, a single staring headlight shining its lonely beam out across the eternal hazy twilight. A mass of books fused by time and acid rain into a single mass of pulp and paper, covers with pictures of landscapes or laughing children half visible occasionally within the hardened ooze. A radio tower on the distant horizon, old wires dangling like ivy, the beacon at its peaks calling eternally to speakers that it would never find again. She had even seen a ship once looming half-seen through the yellow-white mist. Its hull had towered like a shadowed continent up into the sky. Its smokestacks great spires that broke up its silhouette like battlements. Its paint had been just barely visible from this distance, white and red and iron grey. No more than tiny variations, like layers in rock. Their scale, the only thing that protected them from being worn away altogether. A part of her had wanted to go to it, to search this colossal, ancient thing, to dig its secrets out like the centre of a fatberg and feed her mind upon them. But there would be no food in that ancient wreck, nothing at all except echoing, hollow emptiness, a time not spent searching for food, was always time wasted. Quite suddenly, shattering her thoughts like an ancient jar, she felt a sizzling, burning pain on her exposed arm. Almost before she knew what was happening, she had dropped to the ground, frantically pulling the stilts off her feet. Another pain, and another as little hissing plops began to sound on the waves of trash around her. It was the thing she lived in fear of. The single most terrifying threat out here on the plastic waves. Acid rain. There was no time to bind the stilts back onto herself. The acid was already starting to eat through her tattered shawl, like burning droplets pattering against her flesh. She would have to find them again, after the rain, and hope that they were still usable when the storm ended. Hastily, like a fleeing rat, she filled her lungs with sulfur air and burrowed down like a diver into the depths below her. It was dark down there, beneath the surface, the only light faint and discolored as it filtered down through layer on layer of translucent plastic. The air was rank and foul, though different from the burning miasma up above. A wet stench of rot filtering up from the depths, 
of things contained too long without air or light. Down through those things she pushed, arms shoving them aside to give her room to crawl, until at last she lay buried entirely in an artificial tomb and the hissing spatter of the rain echoed against the trash above her. But she could not stay still for long. The shelter of the depths was callous and fickle, and soon enough the rain would join her down here, beginning its own endless, eternal descent through the decomposing sea. And so downwards she pushed, oh she pushed, half swimming through the mass of plastic rot and debris, hoping desperately that she could escape from that burning yellow-white fluid that trickled down behind her. She hated it down there, within the ocean itself, where the trash pressed close against her skin and the suffocating airlessness made her head swirl. The filth was wet and eternal, never enough food to eat or water to drink, only the temptation of them beckoning her ever downwards, ever deeper. Smaller things started to gather here, cigarette butts and Q-tips and plastic spoons and bottle caps, coins like tiny stones and the broken heads of dolls peering out like fish from among the garbage bags, all of it filtering ever downwards toward whatever waited below. With them came other things, little and sharp and rotting away, shards of glass that pounced like dead insects, their razor heads burrowing into her skin and spilling far more blood than she could afford. Needles and razor blades that carried poison in their bites, rust and sickness that made her head swirl and her good eye cloud. Bright liquids that burned to the touch, that looked and smelled like water, but lied and made her spasm and vomit to drink them. The worst of it had filtered away from the surface, but down here they sank still finding their eternal road through the cracks and gaps as the filth around them was compressed ever tighter by the unbearable weight from above. But the dead, as cruel and sharp as they were, were not what she feared down here in the trash, for they were dead and they understood it. They did not cling to life that fled their grip like grains of sand or claw at anything that might be able to provide them one more fleeting moment. There was a sound from somewhere deep below. It was a colossal sound, subtle and vast, like an earth tremor far away below. It was a sound of something moving, something so big and so hungry and so desperate that even the mere suggestion of it made her recoil and flinch against the layers of bottles that dug into her back. It was a sound of forgotten times, when movement meant life and hunger meant food, 
when existence could be sustained on more than fear and denial and hoarded memories. She felt her empty stomach twist as she held herself perfectly, utterly still. Beneath her, she felt the water bottles and plastic bags push up into her gut as whatever moved beneath her slid them up above itself in its wake. A breath, tiny and shuddering, far from sufficient but all she dared. Another, a third. Ever so gently she felt something dry and papery brush her fingers like a hand reaching out from the sea of refuse, a hand of another mariner like herself, desperate for help or asking to be followed down below. As delicately as she could, she pulled her fingers away. She thought there was a sorrow in the sounds from beneath, as whatever moved down there carried itself away through the dead corpse sea. But perhaps it was only her imagination, assigning thought to that which only survived because it dared not die. Shuddering, the mariner pushed herself upwards through the endless miles of plastic, dragging herself close enough to the surface to hear the pounding of the rain. Your tale tonight was written by Stalker Shrike. Phrygiophobia. I have a crippling fear of the cold. Though few out here would consider me irrational for holding such a fear. For miles in every direction, empty snow stretches out into infinity. Grey skies perpetually linger overhead and cast a steady snowfall down to the frigid earth beneath. Just before the horizon, the ice-filled sea lies barren and lifeless. Here, the cold has claimed many victims with her frozen grasp. Many go out, get lost in a sudden blizzard, and collapse in the pale snow. Their movements slowly decay to a futile shivering until they succumb entirely to inhospitable temperatures. The cold takes no quarter, and her presence hangs as a constant reminder that nature had not meant for man to inhabit this region. I did not always fear the cold. My wife came down with a profound sadness since the birthing of our first child and sits quietly in our shelter all day. I watch her silently with shimmering guilt. She never speaks or makes eye contact, just stares off into the dark. We have nothing to discuss. In the dead of the night, we lay apart, facing the chilled air rather than allowing ourselves to touch. The lake of intimacy takes a toll on both of us. Out here, you need someone to talk to. In crushing isolation, I stagger from the shelter to hunt. I pace out for miles onto the great white plains, driven by a faint desire to escape my circumstances. 
This longing tugs me along as I trudge through the dry air. I glance down at my footprints, breaking through the crisp layer of snow. With a sudden ping of concern, I notice something is wrong. I have no shadow. Reeling with disbelief, I spin around, looking every which way for the familiar shade. The chilled sunlight seems to run right through me, as though I were nothing at all. I look out over the frozen plains for any trace of my shadow. Snow blindness stings at my eyes until I shut them in defeat, as a bitter wind cuts across the few patches of exposed skin on my face. I feel the cold creeping up behind me, I swear. I hear her inching closer. Back in the shelter, I sob. The empty hide cradles. The empty hide cradles lay untouched at the corner of the room, and my wife helplessly watches my unrestrained cries. I fear the cold. Days later, I follow a set of caribou tracks. At my feet, my eyes observe still the distinct lack of a shadow. I have not seen a glimpse of it since it first vanished. With a shake of my head, I try to keep my mind focused on the hunt. The tracks lead up a sharp incline, and I concentrate to keep my steps from sliding back down the slope. At the top of the hill, I notice a distant silhouette watching. As I keep moving after the caribou, the shape stays in slow pursuit, following my tracks. I look at the thing with dread, realizing that I have at least found my shadow. Almost a week has passed since then, and my shadow still follows my every move, always just a few paces behind. I lay awake at night, watching the entrance to the shelter, dreading the day that it will crawl in through the opening. In the night, my eyes strain to make out any details of the darkness. Before me, I can feel my wife breathing deeply. I consider moving closer to conserve heat, but I dread any contact with her, as though the shadow might follow her, too. When the morning comes at last, I walk aimlessly, from the shelter out into the snow. My wife watches the detached interest. I need to go where the fear began. As a fresh layer of snow tumbles down from the sky, I wander out, a clear destination scarred in my mind. The familiar shadow slithers up behind me, moving where I had just tread moments before, looking back, it shrinks down under the sunlight, practically invisible against the white plain of the earth. Picturing my target location in mind, I follow the frozen creek past crumbling structures of stones. The shadow thing peeks out from the rocks as I proceed past, still hanging around just behind me. With a deep shiver, I spot the place. A simple stone marks the ground, driven down through the snow by myself to leave some trace of what occurred there. Drawing closer, I find my steps shrinking shorter with each pace. A numb settles in my fingers and toes by the time I make it to the site. I sit down 
by the decorated stone where it happened. This is where I killed our daughter. I brought the newborn out to this spot and abandoned her in the snow. We did not have the food for her. Why couldn't she have been a son? As I sit down in the snow, the thing waits patiently just behind me. At last, I turn to look into her face, my eyes wearily gazing over her frost-bitten features. The shadow being leans in closer, its chilled breath spilling out into my face. Expressionless, the cold embraces me. I feel her wrap me completely, and I dissolve into the flesh of the shadow, fading out with one last shiver. I fear the cold no longer. Frigophobia is written by Levi Salvos. Well, listeners, I thought I'd go back to my roots, you know? A classic duo of scary proportions and really put this new microphone that we've got here through its paces, nice and close, with all the details and very, very clear. Both these stories were lots of fun to narrate. Our first story about the Mariner Scavenger, the test she was put through, and the ending scene that could have sealed her fate, pulled under the ocean with the stranger who was looking for a meal instead of a friend, and the story Frigophobia, which is the exact phobia of becoming too cold, was, forgive the pun, truly chilling. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And should you wish to support me, you can do so by leaving an iTunes review or personally providing me feedback through my email at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. And lastly, I never run ads and never will. If you want to send some dollar dues my way to support, visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt where you can pour me a cup of tea a month. And speaking of people that support the show, the amazing supporters that I cherish and love, my epic peeps. First up is my god-tier supporter, the old nighty titan that is Matostar. Mate, I hope this episode really showcased where your support is going, and that it's also cementing the Shaw M7 as a work of art. I'm still getting used to how to speak into this mic, and there are challenges, but altogether, I feel there will be a major audio improvement for this podcast as a result. Thank you massively for your colossal support, my friend. You are a superstar. Cheers, Matto Star. And my white tea warlord, the chief of tea lease, Leza Donnell Gray, steeping crime till it boils down to a flavoursome brew. Thank you, Leza, for your epic and special support. As you're well aware, your support helps the podcast and me focus on producing and less so on the upkeep. Thank you for being such an amazing person as well and supporting me in the way you do. Thanks, friend. You're epic. Also, I want to thank my old grey enforcers and general Patreon supporters I'm lucky to have. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaele, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, 
Alia Arcane, Paige Kramer, and Jane Gumnick. Thank you, you epically kind people. Now, pour your tea, make it nice, ensure your flavouring is precise. Like a story, let it flow. Let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together, and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen. And as always, I hope to see you again. Have a fantastic week, you legends, and I'll catch you next Monday.